Folks, I want to welcome you all to On the Edge with K.A. Owens. I'm K.A. Owens, and we're broadcasting from the top of the Habern Building in Louisville, Kentucky. This is Forward Radio, WFMP-LP, Louisville, 106.5 FM. And you can find out a little bit more about our station if you go to forwardradio.org. And we're live streaming now, so if you go to that website, you can listen to us on your PC, your tablet, your smartphone, uh, so on. And so uh, you can listen to us uh, uh, from anywhere in the world. Folks, uh, we're blessed and favored to have uh, Kalila Collins here with us today. Say hello to the people, Kalila. Good afternoon, everyone. So, uh, Kalila, uh, you are essentially a Louisville native, is that correct? Yes, I am. And born and raised here, and then uh, went off to the military and came back and uh, and had a notable activist career here in Louisville, and then went down to New Orleans. Uh, and now you're kind of back and forth, sort of helping us out uh, here on the uh, uh, the police crisis we've been going through to, through the last several months. Yes. So uh, tell us what uh, these last several months have meant to you. Man, <laughs> where do I start? I just I had just told someone um, the other day that the last 180 plus days have been probably the worst and the best um, days of my life. Um, we've we've experienced a lot of um, trauma and grief and hurt and pain, um, but also have built a community um, around each other that we probably never would have had hadn't um, this uprising began um, six months ago. And so... Um, I, again, say the trauma and the grief and the pain we've experienced is overshadowed. Doesn't always feel like it's overshadowed, but it's definitely overshadowed by the love and community we've built um, in that process. So, um, folks, and what we're talking about, of course, is the uh, uh, the Breonna Taylor case uh, that's been prominent here in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, uh, all across the country and really all across the world. So, uh, as you know, uh, it's been days and days and weeks and weeks and months and months of, of activism around demanding justice for Breonna Taylor. Uh, you've had people from all over the country come here, not only as journalists, but as volunteers. Uh, uh, so... What does that mean when you, uh, t- to you when you see people, not just groups, of course, notably we had uh, sort of a big-time group until Freedom who came to Louisville to, 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 to live with us, but we just had people yeah, yeah. who came to Louisville to say, hey, I yeah. want to help. Yeah, I haven't been back home so much since I left five years ago as I have been in the last six months. Um, I would usually come in for a weekend here and there every few months, maybe, um, but... You know, on May 28th, I couldn't stay away. I, I saw what my city was going through and um, and wasn't able to rest until I was um, with my people here. And so um, I, I know people across the, the globe and the, or the country and the globe were feeling the same way. How can we help? How can we support? What can we do? What does Louisville need? And so and you said you said I came here to help. I came here to support. I can't I can't help. All I can do is lend my 
whatever piece of me that people need in that moment. And so I just wanted to be here to help to, to support and do that. So, yes. Uh, and so uh, uh, there's been sort of that great spirit of community uh, and uh, there's sort of been more casualties as, as, as well. Yes, definitely, definitely. And I think that's one of the things that some of us, what we're being called now as elders or seasoned organizers, um, we're trying to have conversations about early on and, and, and thinking about those things as people who have who have been a part of this, been part of movement work for years as um, myself and you have been, we, we know what comes along with sh- putting our bodies in the streets um, and, um, and so we've, we've been trying to, to, to be secure in a way, cause we know what the, the damages could be or what the, the casualties can be. And, and it finally came to our doorstep, um, this past week. So, uh, the latest casualty was Travis, uh, Nagby. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he had... As a, was a young person who was uh, uh, sort of come a long way in a short period of time. So can you tell us about, about Travis? <laughs> Travis, yes. So um, as you said, young person, so much energy, so much passion, so much fire. Um, and I was just telling a story a few minutes ago before I got here, like my first time talking to Travis. Um, like he ran up to me and hugged me and said, hey, auntie, and I'm like, who is this kid? <laughs> this was this was very early on. <laughs> and I was like, he was like, yeah, you see our march last night? We led this march. And I was like, okay, how did it go? He's like, it went great. And I remember like just thinking, this kid is hugging me and calling me auntie, and I don't even know who he is. And so when he walked up, I was like, who is that? <laughs> and they were like, that's Cairo. I'm like, okay, <laughs> I like this kid. Um, but from that moment on, like every day when he saw me, he'd run up and hug me. We didn't have a whole lot of long conversations. I wasn't blessed um, to have a whole lot of, you know, long talks with him. But he didn't come in that park and not and see me and not hug me and, and you know, bless me with his energy. Um, and so I know and I've seen the um, I've seen that happen across people I've talked to over the past few days that that was just who he was. And that was his energy. And everybody felt blessed to be in his presence. And um but he also was a sponge, right? I I watched him sit in spaces and soak up all the knowledge and information that he could to figure out how to build himself up to lead, to be a part of and lead this movement going forward. And so, um, yeah, we've we've definitely um, put a fire out, a small fire out, because I think that it only ignited or reignited other folks. So. I hope so he, he died uh, Monday. Uh, uh, so we're recording on a Friday. He died on Monday and uh, um, was shot over on Crittenden Drive. Uh, unexplained uh, uh, death. So uh, very, very sad. But I remember reading in the Courier-Journal article talking about how proud he was that he had had lunch with Attica Scott. Mm-hmm. And Attica mm-hmm. Scott, a Kentucky state representative and sort of a fierce uh, uh, warrior for justice and how he got a chance to go to New York and uh, with Untel Freedom and because mm-hmm. uh, Untel Freedom took some people up there. Yeah. So, uh, uh, and, the, you know, the kid had had the quote-unquote troubled background. 
but he felt like the activism had really kind of <laughs> saved his life. That's what he said. Uh, yeah. uh, and But he's not alone in that. Activism actually saves a lot of people's lives. Saved my life, yes. And because it provides a structure, uh, you know, things to do, goals to be accomplished, people to help. Yep. That's not yourself. Yep. Yeah. Fighting for things bigger than yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, uh, I can say the kid came a long way in a short period of time. It's just, just, just a shame. And of course, going back uh, a while ago, we lost Tyler Girth as, as well, who was uh, uh, down at the square showing support and. Uh, was shot in another, uh, uh, you know, a sad incident. Uh, yeah. Then going back, uh, uh, Mr. McAtee down on 26th Street, uh, uh, you know, there's just no reason for uh, the police and National Guard to be at 26th and Broadway at that time and place. At all, at all, yeah. Just no reason. So, uh so, uh, yes, uh, and, and other types of casualties as well. I mean, many people have been arrested, I mean, injured during the arrest, and it seems like some members of the police department put special energy into arresting certain people in a certain way. Definitely. And, uh, you know, damage their joints uh, and, uh, uh, and, and, and hurt, hurt folk uh, unnecessarily uh, while detaining and arresting them. And, uh, so we're still in the process of dealing with that and trying to get people's records cleared and yeah. so on and so forth and tr- charges dropped. It's really interesting to see how you're met with police violence when you're protesting police violence. And for me, it only reinforces what we're out here saying. You know, we're saying, you know, police brutality, police violence is a thing. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. And then we're met with that same vitriol, that same violence that we're protesting against. And so I'm like... Y'all are only proving our point. Why are we like this? Is why we're out here. And this is what you're proving. You're proving our point to the world. And so, the real question, of course, going back, uh, you know, why do we have the type of police department that we have? Why do they engage in the type of behaviors that lead to the type of to death of Breonna Taylor? If you look at Breonna Taylor, I mean, the investigation shows that leading up to uh, just about everything that could be done wrong was done wrong. And so uh, my kind of question is, uh, what I've been saying, Kalila, is that, you know, I've been working on this issue for a while. And my studies show that, you know, up until the 1950s, most police officers did not go to academy. They learned on, on, on the job with a, a rule book. And so, but since that time, all police officers go to police academy. Most of them have a high school diploma or two years of college. And so they're, in America, at least, they're better trained now than they ever have been. But yet they seem to be doing some not only terrible things, but sloppy, unproductive, unprofessional things, in spite of the fact that they're better trained now than they ever have been. Yeah, you talking about sending like somebody, that's taxpayers' money that sends them to police academy for six months. And, and what is the result? Something is not going wrong, uh, right. Yeah, it seems like unchecked, unchecked, no accountability, unchecked power. Um, It seems to me that um, as we move through learning more and more about what happened um, at Brianna's house that night um, and then watching the response, the cover-ups, the misinformation, it just seems like the 
the front line or the middle line police officers, um, there's there they go unchecked. Like who where are the checks and balances in all of this? Um, I remember it seems like they have no respect for the authority of the chief, the chief's office or the mayor's office, or the mayor has no power in holding them accountable for whatever reason he sees fit. The FOP seems to run the city. Can I, I'm sorry, can I say, I'm sorry. Nope, no, no profanity. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. The FOP seems to have a stronghold on everything at this point, which is a problem. Um, so the, the, the thought that um, when people call the call LNPD out or call out um, a response, the FOP comes in with a stronghold and and essentially calls the mayor out or calls you know leaders in um, LNPD out. And so it's like, well, who who's responsible and who are folks accountable to? Because obviously they're not accountable to the people that they're quote unquote policing. They're not accountable to the mayor who's supposed to be leading this city, they're not listening to or accountable to the chief who's supposed to be their, you know, their leader, their boss or their whatever. So who who are they accountable to? And when you have no accountability, you come and go and move and do as you want. Well, that is the, the phenomenon of American policing versus uh, the military. Uh you know, people think that the police is like the military, but not exactly. That is, uh, being a policeman is a way better job than being, a, say, a buck <laughs> private in the military or a seaman recruit. Because when you're a seaman recruit or a buck private and a corporal tells you to do something or a sergeant or a chief, you pretty much have to do it. But in the police department uh, in America, once you manage to graduate from academy and then there might, you might be on probation for a year, but after that year, then you're under the protection of the, the FOP. So you're kind of good to go for the next 19 years. Right, and, right. Uh, and particularly if you're not interested in getting promoted, you can pretty much tell your supervisor to go whatever. Right. Uh, uh, so it's a pretty good job. Plus, uh, if you get in trouble, the FOP uh, protects you. You can beat somebody up. You can file false charges against them. You can shoot them and say that, oh, uh, well, they was threatening my life. So it's a way better job than being a buck private or a, a corporal or a sergeant in the military. There's no comparison. Yeah, definitely. I've never been a police officer, but I've definitely been a private in the Marine Corps, so I know it's a lot different. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, uh uh, uh, I mean, nobody told you when you were a Marine, all you had to do was survive a year. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> that was never the impression I got. <laughs> Just make it, make it through the first year. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but yeah, so, uh, 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 and so, and the question is, uh, you know, what do we do? I mean, um, you know, Kalila, some people say, like, I, I've had at least two chiefs, uh, former chiefs here in Louisville say that, uh, well, requiring the two years of college is produces a way better police officer. And then other, other people say that, well, if you put the two year, years of college in, you're eliminating, uh, for instance, African-Americans. I mean, I've had, you know, some blacks say, well, you don't want to put the two years of college in because uh, that cuts out the opportunity for some black folk. And so I've, I've heard at least two chiefs say that. And, um, uh, 
And then we've got this whole thing uh, with the warrior policing, because, you know, we've got these ex-military consultants that make six figures going around all these police departments telling them they need to be warriors and kill, kill and kill, kill and shoot, shoot and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, uh, we're not interested in that. Right, right. (laughs) We're not interested in that. I understand if somebody's racket, they get paid to go around and and talk about all that old stuff. But, uh, you know. And evidently, the uh, Kentucky State Police is kind of caught up in that, too. That's uh, what it seems like. But uh, we don't want that. No. In fact, we want to go in a completely different direction. Yeah, and that's I think that's what we're seeing is police departments across the country trying to fight back from that, right? Trying to get away from this conversation around defund or, dis- or uh, divesting in um, police uh, departments. But we know, you know, police don't do not secure neighborhoods. Police do not secure communities. Um, In the communities that I grew up in and that I'm from and that I'm living in currently, people are more afraid of the police than they are of their neighbors. I was reading an article uh, a few weeks ago. No, it wasn't an article. A couple months ago when they did the, when the consulting firm came into Louisville to do... Hill and Heinzig. Yeah, to do their their survey of... um, of the police department, they had they wanted civilians and they wanted community members to you know answer all these survey questions, and they had questions on there like, "Do you feel safe in your community? Do you feel this? Do you feel that?" As if to say, if you feel safe, it's because of LMPD, and that's not the case for most people or for all people. And so I feel like even the survey to evaluate or to think about how they police or how they operate is skewed. As someone who is back and forth between two different cities, um, as someone who has children who live in this city still, who, who owns property in this city, I don't feel safe in my community because of LMPD. I feel safe because I know my neighbors. I know people around me. I feel safe because I trust that people are going to do the best that they can with what they have, and I'm going to adjust accordingly. I feel like they don't have what they need. And I think that policing or adding more police or giving them more money isn't the answer to the ills of our society. And so you mentioned me being an organizer from way back. My organizing has been around basic human needs and basic rights. And so if people had what they needed, then we wouldn't have the need for police as we see it today. And so... uh uh, how do we get there? I mean, there's a, a theory out there that because the powers that be are deliberately creating more economic inequality, therefore they need more police to deal with the necess- that the you know the the uh, uh, the coming rebellion against economic inequality. That is uh, disruption. People are upset about being forced to be poor, and so uh, people. Uh, uh, People uh, may be upset about that. And so you need more police to deal with, you know, Wall Street and corporate America deciding that, you know, large numbers of people just can't be in the middle class anymore. We just don't need a middle class. Uh, and uh, and people, Wall Street and corporate America is saying that everybody has to work three jobs and uh, you can't have a defined benefit pension and you kind of have to work till you die. Uh, that is not quality of life and that's not well-being. Or taking care of each other, or or our communities, and we and we see what having to work three jobs 
and what not having pensions and retirements and safety nets has has gotten us. And so, uh, uh, and it's even uh, folks not, uh, uh, you know, being upset and not understanding how things got the way that they were. That is, you know, there was a piece on the radio today about, you know, not having clean water and sewage in the small towns and rural areas. Well, one of the reasons for that is that, uh, you know, after World War II, America was kind of caught up in more of a more New Dealish philosophy. You had moderate Republicans, so you had this federal money going to the small towns and rural areas for water systems and sewage systems and and roads and everything else. Mm-hmm. And so, once the you know quote unquote conservative party went away from that and you know unrestricted free market and everybody on their own, then there's less money going to the to the small towns and rural areas uh, for for roads, sewers, everything else. Right. Uh, uh, less money going to the state universities from the federal government. And so, uh, and so, people are unfortunately people are voting for people who are making sure they don't get enough money to have clean water in their towns. Right. And uh, they don't even know why. Uh, they think that uh, you know that is the blacks in Louisville uh, uh, taking up all the money with welfare, mm. and therefore people in the rural areas can't get clean water. Uh, you know, or something like that. Which, of course, is completely opposite right. uh, from any kind of reality. So, uh, so uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, Louisville is sort of set up for have uh, 1,200 police officers since city-county merger. You got 900 state police officers. Now, 1,200 people can't control 750,000 people. Uh, basically, the 750,000 people who live in Jefferson County have to be safe, warm, and dry. Uh, you know, right. <laughs> because, like I said, 1,200 people can't control this. Right. And, and the state of 4 million people, 900 state police officers can't control 4 million people. Right. Uh, so, uh, so what we need is to have a quality of life where the raw number of police officers is not considered to be a factor in, in, in our everyday life. Right. And so, uh, uh, and, and so the question is, how can we get there? I think, like I said, going back to those basic things and thinking about quality of life and thinking about those basic needs being met. And I kind of wanted to like touch on the piece around controlling. Like, should police be controlling anything? Should law enforcement be, should, should that be their goal? I think that... Um, if people have what they need, then they'll they'll respond and act accordingly. Um, and then police come in if and when those things, um, if and when those incidents happen where it's necessary. But I, I even heard um, the other day a police call about a mother calling about her son who was suicidal. And the police, you know, were called. Like, why are we calling police for a mental health crisis? Right. Why are we calling police? And so that goes back to the divest, invest conversation around, you know, investing in um, in programs and investing in people and communities as opposed to, you know, giving more money to LNPD in this budget cycle, you know, things like that. And so doing those well-being things, doing those basic needs things, um, would definitely change the conversation around, I think, around policing in this country, and specifically in this city right now. 
Well, that's definitely the conversation we need to have. So uh, if all things, uh, 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 well, uh, we need to have that conversation in Frankfurt if we can in, in January and uh, have that conversation in Washington, D.C. as well. So uh, hopefully we've got some people in place that can at least raise the issues effectively. I mean, sometimes uh, uh, the, even the people on your side don't raise the issues effectively. Uh, and so uh, that whether or not, for instance, uh, uh, the Kentucky Democratic Party, for instance, that is for radio doesn't, of course, endorse candidates or political parties, right. but whether or not the Kentucky Democratic Party has enough votes to dominate in Frankfurt doesn't mean they can't raise issues effectively. And so uh, the, the party that's not in power should be able to verbalize uh, the issues uh, effectively uh, uh, in a way that comes across to people. Uh, I mean, that's what the conservative party did when they were out of power. That is, they they had a a message that was unpalatable to some, but they kept driving it and driving it and driving it. And, and eventually uh, uh, they came to dominate in a state like Kentucky. I mean, they had an a, a unpalatable, uh, somewhat nonsensical message, but uh, they had Rush Limbaugh and uh, Fox News, and they just kept driving it and uh, t- started making sense, to, sense, to, sense to some people. To some people, right? And so, uh, uh, so, uh, so there we are, uh, folks. Uh, we've been talking to uh, Kalila Collins, uh, Louisville native. Uh, so, uh, uh, so Kalila, what do you see? Uh, <coughs> Sort of coming down the road, or uh, are we feeling positive now? I mean, we're in the holiday season. Uh, 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 Thanksgiving was yesterday. Uh, our, uh, you know, they're starting to play Christmas music in the stores. Uh, uh, are we feeling positive? Uh, is there reason for hope? Uh, what do you see? I I first would say I hope that there's always reason for hope. Um, there have been days over the last 180 plus days where I have felt hopeless, um, but I think that there, if 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 we lose hope, um, then we'll never see justice because then we'll stop fighting for it. And we know that you know power concedes nothing, so we have to, in some degree, remain hopeful in order to keep fighting and to keep going. Um, I don't know. I think that as the days go on, we're seeing new and new, more and more information coming out about Breonna Taylor's case specifically. Um, we're seeing more conversations about um, defunding the police. Uh, but I, we got to figure out how to really um, hold folks' uh, feet to the fire to to get that change to actually happen. Exactly. So... Uh Representative James Clyburn says, uh, uh, he's an African-American gentleman from South Carolina, says, he says, we're not going to defund the police. And I say to James Clyburn, I, brother, I respect you, but who is we? Uh, <laughs> who is we? And so, uh, but I will say this, and in the Democratic Party, uh, the war is not between Democrats who love the police and Democrats who don't. The war is between Wall Street Democrats and Democrats who want to build a society that benefits everyone. 
And so the Wall Street Democrats need a stick to hit the progressive Democrats over the head with. So they're saying, oh, you said defund the police, and, and that kept the moderate Democrats from winning. And uh, no, no, the moderate Democrats, didn't. they didn't win because they didn't have a message that, uh, <laughs> that related to anybody. In right. other words, it was their so-called moderation mm-hmm. that caused them to fail. They, right. they didn't fail because of Black Lives Matter. Right. Joe Biden won because of Black Lives Matter. So, uh, But uh, we need to talk to Brother Clyburn and, uh, and, and help him uh, <laughs> to understand uh, uh, that... Uh, that uh, black folks uh, live on Main Street, not Wall Street. We need, mm. to, we need to talk to Brother Clavin about that. And uh, we need to talk to Nancy Pelosi about that, too. Yeah. And people just need to really do some research. We're not saying, you know, don't have police or take all their money. Yeah. We're saying, you know, have a, a, it's, it's a more, it's more to that than right. just taking so folks, their money. Folks, we want to uh, thank Kalila Collins for being here with us today. Been outstanding as always. Thank you so much, Kalila. Thank you for having me.